Hello, how's it going? I'm Megan Lawton and this is Who You Don't See, the podcast that celebrates the people behind the stars. In this series, we chat to people you might not have heard of, but who are key to making the magic happen. So we'll hear from personal trainers, songwriters and artist managers. If they work with a household name, this podcast exists to give you an insight into their world. Our guests this week are the insanely talented creative directing duo Amber and Bronski, co-founders of Tourbox. For Stormzy Glasto, I walked in and he, he had his uh, vest on, which was designed by Banksy, and I just looked yeah. at him. And that was actually, I have to say, that was the only time I actually, I had no words. I just looked at him and we just both nodded at each other and that was it. Cast your minds back to June 2019, a pre-pandemic summer when festival season was in full swing and making history on Glastonbury's iconic pyramid stage was Stormzy, the first black solo British headline. Behind him were Amber and Bronski, the creative directors who helped to curate the choreography, themes, set list and visuals. And it went down a storm, with the crowd, press and viewers at home eventually being nominated for a BAFTA. As well as making big political statement shows for Stormzy, they've also worked with Dave too, directing his powerful performance of Black at the 2020 Brit Awards. Outside of the political, they've also conquered the world of pop, looking after Miley Cyrus and Rita Ora, each time directing bespoke performances. I caught up with the duo two days after the Brits when they'd had a hat-trick of performances to look after. Hedy One, Olivia Rodrigo and Arlo Parks. I'll leave you to find out why they're so great. Enjoy. So Amber Bronski, thank you so much for doing this. Total pleasure. Thanks for having us. So yeah, I was mentioning just before we started recording, but uh, this was a particularly busy week for you. I'm speaking to you. Is it two days after the Brits when you worked on three performances? How are you? How are you doing? Are you kind of over the adrenaline? Are you still riding high on that wave, or are you starting to feel a bit frazzled? I think we're still riding high on the wave. I think um, we've definitely caught up on our sleep. It's. I think it feels like we haven't slept for like a month in you know preparation for this but we've definitely caught up on our sleep now so yeah we're feeling great and each of the performances for anybody who doesn't know you worked with olivia rodrigo arlo parks heady one three performances which were all so so different so i can't even imagine the mental space it's taken to plan three performances all on the same night but also three performances so unlike one another absolutely i mean Fortunately, we, we've kind of got experience of that because we did three performances on the last Brit Awards. Um, we did uh, Stormzy Dave and, and Mabel in uh, 2020 Brit Awards, which was amazing. Uh, and then this year, it, uh, we have worked with, as you say, Arlo Parks, Olivia Rodrigo and Hedy One. And I guess there's an element of, of us just being kind of, um, you know, very much on top of it making sure that we kind of assign creative time as well as the kind of the the more kind of planning and scripting side of things um but when we get that when we get in a good place and get that in early um it all seems to come together really well 
you thrive when you've got a hat trick of performances to get out in one night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we always start the podcast by talking about job titles, but sort of in an accessible non-CV type way. So I always say, if we got talking in a bar and I kind of said, what do you do for work? What would your answer be? So ultimately, we kind of call ourselves creative directors. Um, but it does get tricky when you kind of uh, try to explain that to someone at the bar because um, creative directors can be quite a broad term. Um, so essentially, we are, we are creative directors of live performances, like foremost. That is what we do. But, but then to some people, it's kind of almost easier to explain it as a show designer or a um, live performance director as such. It's kind of a tricky one, but ultimately what we do is we um, really work with artists on certain, it could be TV shows or the live concert touring or special one-offs or festival headlines. And we work really closely with artists on on the performances and, and how that works from concept right through to being something that is an incredible piece of entertainment ultimately for the duration that we're given i have got so many questions for you both (laughs) i want to know if a creative director is the kind of job you always set out to do or did you kind of get involved with within the arts and your role kind of evolved to be a creative director i think for me um i had a career as a professional dancer for well i started dancing at the age of two and a half and kind of then went to professional dance school graduated and then started working as a dancer with artists i then started being moved up to being a dance captain then an assistant choreographer kind of learning and honing in on the craft Um, behind the scenes rather than just being on that stage with an artist and then progressing from there to being a choreographer so working with artists and working on choreography with their performance Um, and then from there progressing to adding creative director into that into that uh, mix so and I very much still choreograph as well not essentially on every single job that we do creatively um, but that's kind of my background of how I worked towards being a creative director and choreographer. For sure and my, my background is um, I'll, I'm kind of like the frustrated musician that somehow ended up working behind the scenes uh, and then and then couldn't get away from it and have somehow ended up being a creative director in a weird way. So, you know, as a teenager, I was definitely wanting to be in front of the camera, I would, I, I would say. Um, but then as, as kind of time's gone on, you know, I, you know, there was other parts of production that I was kind of always really interested. In. I wanted to know everything about everything. So, you know, and, and we really kind of got to uh, experience that, um in in my kind of teenage years and you know young adulthood and then ended up working um with music artists in the late 20 what do you call it the the 2000s late 2000s in particular was when started working really closely with kind of music artists and then as as that kind of went along um artists seemed to really kind of take 
my input um, really seriously. And at the same time, me and Amber were kind of, you know, thinking about doing something together regarding the kind of creative direction side, because it's something that we were both so passionate about. Um, you know, we'd always speak about performance. We'd always get excited to see anyone's performances, like genuinely love entertainment. And I guess there's that element of like where I've learned a lot of production and Amber learned, has has got a huge experience in, in kind of stage craft. Um, and we've kind of put that two together with also, you know, um, what we've kind of what we love we always pull on experiences from shows when you first get to see shows as a teenager we, we always try and put that into it as well um, because as much as we've got experience there are you know younger people who do not get to see uh, sorry there, there are younger people that are getting to see kind of entertainment in a in a kind of in a new way and it's always exciting to kind of keep it fresh but pull on those things that you found really exciting when when you first witnessed it. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned being a teenage that teenager there several times, and I was going to ask you about the teenage versions of Amber and Bronski. Did you, if you look back at the teen news, do you think you've always had the skill sets that you've kind of has grown and developed over the years? Like that's that's that was always within you to kind of have that creative vision. I don't know what whatever your house parties were like. Maybe they were very concepts led and immaculately planned. I think for me, um, being a dancer, knowing what it feels like to be on a stage with an audience watching you um you know the positive pressures of that the excitement of that and then that kind of you know then going to watch other shows and watch other people in shows and you know seeing that and getting that excitement as an audience and I feel always I was always interested on jobs as a dancer what everyone else's job role was and what they did and what their their part that they played in the production essentially so i was always one of those people that would always hang around with everybody and want to learn and want to find out and i used to find it really interesting and that's when for me as i was growing up and you know in my late teens early 20s really appreciated everyone's effort into something that comes on you know on stage not necessarily just the people on the on the stage that are responsible for everything and being appreciative of the crew the production team and everyone that is so passionate about a project so for me I think all those years and and seeing that and experiencing that and then you know, us as toolbox carrying through and really, you know, living up to that and being very appreciative of everyone around us in our team. It's definitely a team effort and um, super grateful for all the people that we have with us. You kind of viewed it through the eyes of a of as a performer because you were on stage, but were curious about everything that led and sort of fed into that eventual performance. Yeah, and that, you know, that then led to, you know, watching other performances, uh, studying other performances and, you know, how how that, how that those came about or um, just learning from experiences of other people. I was lucky enough 
um, in my early 20s to uh, be an assistant choreographer to a very good friend of mine, Sean Cheeseman, who, you know, has danced for Michael and Janet Jackson. And that was a huge inspiration to me and how he he created um, choreography um, and all those kind of things. And he's definitely a huge inspiration to me and what I do now. I mean, if, if I was tapping into my kind of... Uh teenage years as as a teenager i used to go and see shows i I genuinely reckon about two or three times a week i was really like i remember standing outside you know gigs and getting the kind of gig flyers handed out and um literally kind of obsessing over what to go and kind of see later in the week or the next week i feel like i feel like i used to be at briggs brixton academy kind of oh god about five or six times a month I was wow, okay. obsessed with kind of going to shows. So I kind of really loved that. And it didn't take me long to realise that, you know, if you want to hear the best sound, then you kind of need to uh, be near the, the sound desk at the back. So for some shows, I would always kind of go and hover around there. And other shows, I'd be right down the front getting in into the thick of it. But, but those kind of experiences that you, you kind of get, like there's shows that I've seen at Brixton Academy where – you know, I used to go and see a lot of kind of punk rock and metal bands in particular. But, you know, there, there were certain artists that would would spend more money or have, you know, more of a production value to their show. And, you know, the, the, the first time I saw a moving truss of lights coming out of the roof during a show, and I, I, I'd i never seen it before, but it blew my mind when I saw it. So there's things, there's things like that that you kind of want to tap into the way you save things for certain moments in shows. And you remember that from when you first witnessed it, because, you know, it's it's really, really hard to be mega original in this game because there are so many limitations. There are timeframes and budgets that you have to kind of fit to. So those things kind of really um, kind of stand out as things that kind of I definitely pull out from uh, for sure. I love that, that at the time you probably thought you were some kind of just gig fanatic, but actually you were revising and banking a load of inspiration for your future career. I love that. Basically, so you, yeah. <laughs> Very clever. Uh, so you two are on this podcast because you work behind the scenes with artists day in, day out. You have already listed a few of them, but give us an idea of the kind of people you've worked with over the years. Oof. I mean, recently we've, you know, been working with obviously Stormzy, Dave, AJ Tracy, Mabel. We did the uh, Pussycat Dolls cu- comeback on X Factor, which was which went down really well. Obviously, Arlo Parks Heady won. We looked after Olivia Rodrigo for, on, on the Brit Awards just now. Um, uh, we did we did um, stuff with uh, Miley Cyrus as well on 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 the Global Citizen show. Um, there's so many more, it's hard to kind of remember them all, actually. Um, yes. Well, you've given us a good flavour. In a minute, we'll, I want to sort of talk about the kind of work you do. But first, I think for some context, when does an artist think, you know what, we need to get a creative director on board? To, is it quite common that most artists will have a team of creative directors? I think um, it depends... When they're, I think when they're first starting out, potentially they're not necessarily thinking of that first off. 
I would have I would say this for like probably five or six years ago. However, now in 2021, I think it's a, a very different story, and I think that a lot of these new artists that are coming up are very inspirational they watch a lot of things they watch other people's performances and they ask questions and i think more so in the last couple of years um creative directors like myself and bronski um do get brought in quite early on compared to say five or six years ago um and i think that's just this new wave of these artists getting really passionate about their project and how they want it to look and the thought and um, research that goes into that and behind those performances and the meanings behind those performances. I've definitely noticed a change in that in, say, the last five years or so. So I would say uh, 2021, very early on, I believe, well, we've been brought in quite early with our artists that we work for. Absolutely. And and we, we actually get reminded by um, TV shows quite often how that, you know, that sometimes they say to us, well, you know, 10 years ago, your job role didn't exist and we yeah. had to do all the creatives ourselves. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's really collaborative and even, even the way we think, we always, we always think about the kind of canvas, the canvas we're working with, and where it's situated, who the artist is and what the song is. And we really kind of try and tie all that in together. So, you know, if it is a TV show, we know we need to make it work for a TV show as well. And TV shows have got their own audiences. It's not necessarily the artist audience that they'd normally have. So you kind of need to, um, these are kind of the things that we kind of try and balance up as well. But, you know, for the for the foremost, we generally always just try to think of something and work to something that's, you know, very kind of inspiring and has has a kind of meaning behind it. Yeah, you're putting out the message, the intended message of that piece of art. Absolutely. You mentioned about collaborating. I'm really interested to know kind of who leads it, is who leads the creative vision? Is it the artist? Is it you guys? Is it sort of a combination of you all putting your heads together and dissecting the project, dissecting the desired message? It is very unique to each artist. Um, there's some projects that we've done where we'll get a favourite colour or an object as a bit of inspiration, um, whereas some artists won't necessarily know what a particular you know inspiration is and we help encourage that um so it's definitely dependent on the artist and you know their vision and, or if there's something that they want to get across and they don't know how to express that we are here and able to collaborate them and support them in how that's expressed creatively Absolutely. yeah maybe kind of like because there'll be so much going on in their brain about yeah. it and ultimately they're the musicians they've got the lyrics down they've probably got the melody down or whatever but everything else is just an idea in their head and they don't know if it's possible until two people like you come along and it's like right okay sort of blurt yeah. everything out to us and we'll see what we can do with it absolutely and I think Stormzy's Glastonbury's a you know a great example of you know Stormzy is a huge um huge artist that he's very collaborative um 
and he that's like the inspiration that he gives us and then you know we go away with that and a great example of that is you know sharing a stage uh stormzy when we did glastonbury um there was a piece of an article that i read by chance actually um he really loved ballet black and um I was I knew of them but I went into some deep research on them and that then led to me finding out that you know they don't do ballet shoes in all skin tones and mm-hmm. me coming from a dance background I was like wow that's that's a strong thing to be talking about and this needs to be on a bigger stage and people need to know this and uh, appreciate the movement in the you know these ballet shoes now being in all shade in all shades of skin tones. Yeah, it shouldn't um, be a big deal, but actually it is because it hasn't always been that way. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, when I found this all out and got all the information, I sat with Storms and was like, "Listen, look at this," and he was like, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing!" And I was like, "Yeah," and I was like. This is our this is our moment for ballet black in your show, and so we created like this interlude uh, moment in the Glastonbury performance where they came out and did a beautiful dance duet, um, Padida, um, and it was incredible. And we were able to you know get that that moment across using the video screen that we had. Um, so that people could read it and really understand it as these beautiful dancers were performing. So that's like an example of, you know, how how we kind of collaborate. Yeah, I was there in the crowd. I've watched it about three times. I've watched it about three times since. It was incredible. When did you get that call from Stormzy to say, did he call you directly? And did he kind of say, you know what, I think I've got quite a big gig coming up. Or did he straight away launch in with it? Like, I'm headlining and I need your help. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, it's, a, it's actually really interesting you say that because I think that ties in really nicely to kind of explain how our long term, sorry, how our long term relationships work with with kind of artists as well. So we actually first worked with Stormzy about three years before that. I think he was doing a tiny stage, the Sonic stage. And oh, yeah. we, we literally got a call about a, a couple of days before just kind of like there's no visuals. There's a a stage with screens, please can you help us out? Um, and we, we we literally helped out. It was very humble, um, but very suited for, for the stage it was on. It was a very small stage. Um, but anyway, you know, got off on the right foot and then, and then, you know, Gang Signs and Prayer, the album was coming out and he had his tour of which there was three nights at Brixton Academy. And um, basically we kind of, we kind of really, said to kind of you know team stormzy um and Stormzy himself obviously let's let's really really take this moment and opportunity to 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 look at brixton academy because doing three nights in a row is something really kind of amazing to do and you know we've had a cheeky call with the venue and they're free for quite a few days beforehand so why don't why don't we take that venue for a week and really do something that's like mind blowing in there. Yeah, statement. So, yeah. Yeah. So we so we did exactly that. And one thing that we kind of really wanted to to, to kind of do with Stormzy as well was kind of 
I think at that point, grime, grime shows weren't really developing quick enough. Um, it felt like, I, I feel like there was kind of a, uh, a kind of um, almost a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a kind of blueprint for the, the traditional grime show. And we kind of wanted to, you know, work with Stormzy to do something that was kind of a bit more kind of outrageous and theatrical um, and have kind of little moments in there. So we really worked really hard on this this Brixton show in particular. And the plaudits from that was literally outrageous, um, like like really crazy, like so many five star reviews. You know, Ed Sheeran came down, Adele came down, like, um, you know, they were both raving about the show. And and that kind of really, really kind of made our, our relationship with Stormzy super strong. So at that point, you know, obviously Stormzy was a hot ticket. And we're, we're talking, you know, th- there was a kind of rumor about uh, headlining wireless. And now we'd already had a performance, the second stage performance um, on the other stage at Glastonbury the same year. So we were like, well, let's let's use this as an opportunity to get, you know, Emily Evers's attention. <laughs> so yeah. we did. So we made a big scale version of that Brixton show um, for 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 Glastonbury uh, on in 2017. But then while we were doing that, we were we knew wireless was on the cards. So we then started putting attention into what we could do for wireless because, um, y- you know, it's all well and good getting Emily Evers's attention, which is great, but we were doing it to show, do you know what? You've got one stage that's bigger and, you know, us lot, we'd love to go and do a pyramid headline. So we really, really went out of the way to make Stormzy's wireless show a, a kind of massive um, production as well. And and that show was in, <laughs> incredibly insane. I mean, at one point, there's no orchestra on stage. And for the last song, there's like an 80-piece orchestra on stage. <laughs> not anything to pull off at all. But we did that to prove we can, you know, we can, Stormzy can headline major festivals. Well, and it then, worked. And it was only, I think, the week after that, we've all found out that you know headlining pyramid stage was on the cards so you know and then and then it and then it and then it got signed um so from that point um i think we all just took it in for a bit but yeah oh god six seven months in advance we really kind of started working on it and the the and the main thing that we all worked to was um kind of bringing the culture onto the stage that was that was always the kind of the, the the big the big thing that we kind of wanted to do and and we just researched so much i do you know what it's actually kind of good to say that because research is such a big part of um of our job as well and and you know it in in some ways you could get other people to do the research for you but i feel like things get missed if you kind of don't do it yourself yeah it's so central to shaping your vision if you're kind of taking it in yourself and you you i guess you kind of done baby versions of glastonbury at brixton and wireless but glastonbury is a whole other level he's headlining but he was also making history in so many ways he was was it the first black solo british headliner huge for grime as well and unlike wireless and brixton the audience members probably wouldn't all have been there for stormzy so you had that opportunity not just for the people who are at glastonbury but for everyone at home to like wake up and watch this 
Absolutely. That, that is so true. And, and once again, that's another example of looking at our canvas and where it's situated. You know, the Glastonbury pyramid stage headline. So already there's so many things you associate with that. And that kind of is your canvas. And it, and is, a really you... small, it is a really small stage as well um, in, compared to other festival stages. But, but in terms of where it's situated, it's situated in a huge field with a very broad audience, like not your, audi- not your audience. Yeah. Um, but also at home, there are millions of people who are tuning in whether they want it or not. Uh, you know, um, sorry, at home, there are millions of people who are tuning in and they will tune in knowing who the headline artist is and whether they want to watch it. So we were, you know, one thing that we knew is how there would be this, a, a huge community um, watching and supporting Stormzy from like all over the country. Um, and we really kind of wanted to do them proud as well. So the way we approached the show was that it was very much for television and for the field at the same time. Uh, and that's yeah. something that I think we did manage to really kind of seamlessly pull off. Yeah, I think he did. It was, it was nominated for a BAFTA and not just there in the crowd, it went crazy, but also social media as well. Like people loved it. And it was that statement performance I think you were seeking. How, how did you begin to tackle it? Is it a song by song thing? Is it a theme, an overriding theme? I think I think you know looking looking at how we kind of put uh, you know we approached um, uh, putting together Glastonbury. The, the 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 biggest part of it was the kind of concept of 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 celebrating Black British culture. Absolutely. So with that, obviously, we kind of you know our research kind of really kind of goes off, and and at that point, we are really kind of looking into everything that we can pull into the show so we end up with so much so much incredible material that we could use um but ultimately we then kind of finesse it into sections as such and you know because ultimately when uh, you know another thing that we look to do with shows is kind of have a show flow um so that you feel like you're getting um you you feel like you're getting a, a kind of consistent section but then There'll be like a, a a VT or which is a kind of playback of video or or um, something like the, the the ballet black section. In fact, that's the perfect example. We wanted the Glastonbury show to feel like it was just starting off like a grime show. Um, yeah. But then the second the second the ballet dancers came on, it was like a Tarantino moment. It's like we flipped it, and at that point, the audience would have known. Okay. This is not the show I was expecting, but I'm in for it. Um, yeah, and that's, so, that's that. something that we really kind of like to pull on, and we do that a lot with all our shows, to be honest. But, but yeah, obviously, it's disruptive. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. And then you know, while while Ballet Black were on stage, we were actually resetting for a full live band to be on straight after um, with with uh, you know brass and BVs and stuff. But you know, we're using the power of darkness. Um, smoke and mirrors as they call it in the in the industry and I think we also said like when we were researching and thinking about the show flow is that especially at a festival um, how do we stop people going to buy a drink how do we keep people entertained so they can't leave where they are whether they're sat at home or whether they're in the field how can we keep them with us 
for that whole time and that whole experience. Absolutely. So, and 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 obviously, constructing the set list um, is a big part of that as well. So, and you know, we we love to work really closely with with uh, kind of music directors um, uh, to kind of and and the artists, obviously, to kind of really kind of think and work out how we can just make you know however long a set the set needs to be how you know how we can make that so um powerful and just engaging throughout yeah so you're saying you had seven months to work on it um yes i think that's how long we did we, that that's how long we spent working on it yeah and, and how how much of that and how much of that time is sort of hands-on, intense rehearsal studio? How much time do you kind of get face to face with Stormzy and his team? Yeah, I mean, we were we, you know, we were popping around Stormzy's house quite quite often uh, in the early days, in the early part of that for sure. And then uh, in terms of rehearsals, I think I think split over band rehearsals, music rehearsals. Um, uh, choreography rehearsals and then production rehearsals i think that that would have taken up about a month before yeah so you know it was by no means like a oh you know we're going to do a few days and then a show it was was had the big build-up it needed really ridiculously fat and we built the entire set you know in 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 a large studio in um right near birmingham uh and you know we all spent five days there before we we trucked it all to um Glastonbury where we you know we just rehearsed it and and to this day they are still the best product they were the best production rehearsals ever they were just the most incredible thing to be a part of because of the excitement of it all the anticipation maybe realizing that you're onto something um I want to know in a minute about the anticipation before the gig happened and kind of I guess because your thoughts are so sprawling, how do you know you're making the right decision? Could you have included something else? But before I get onto that, you mentioned that you were popping around to Stormzy's in the early days. Were you kind of chatting this all over over tea and biscuits, visualising this huge world, this, this huge performance which is going to be on a world stage? Were you discussing that over tea and biscuits? <laughs> oh, maybe not. Maybe not tea and biscuits. Um, uh, <laughs> but we were definitely, we were definitely, you know, spending time sitting down. And, and talking about how, you know, how the show, imp- most importantly, how people do need to know that, you know, Stormzy is a ridiculous master of his craft, which he is, an insane performer. Like, if you have, for those who haven't seen Stormzy, a Stormzy show live, I, it is genuinely like a ridiculous show. It, like, we really all work so hard, you know, so hard on it. But also how, and as equally, how we were going to just wanted to represent Black British culture for that show. Um, so, so those two things were like definitely the kind of um, most important things in our kind of early early meetings. And all born out of his living room. I love that. So tell me, yeah, like the question I kind of mentioned a few questions back. You're planning this big show, but with so creative thinking, I guess it's quite hard because there is no, this is the right thing to be doing, this is the wrong thing to be doing. Did you ever have wobbles of like, oh, are we kind of doing this performance justice or did you always know we are onto something here, we've got this nailed down? Um, that's a really I tricky think one. In, I think in the most humblest response, 
uh, Bronsky and I really trust our gut. And we have, I feel like we have these signs that happen to us with our guts when we know something's going to be potentially an incredible moment. And we definitely, as creatives, we do follow our gut um, with an artist as well. Um, I think another example of that is Dave at the Brits. Um, yeah. It That was probably one of the most moving moments for me. Um, and hearing hearing what he wrote, especially the verse he especially wrote for the Brits um, at that point in 2020, um, and when we first heard it privately, I I knew I knew in my heart and my soul that this was going to be something incredibly special. Um, so we definitely trust our guts and our own emotions to wow, that's that could be if it hits me. I know, I think, and I wish, and I hope that it then hits other people as it does to me. And I think Stormzy Glasto and Dave at the Brits were examples of that. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. I was going to say, so many of the artists who you work with come to you with a major statement they want to make. It's about politics. It's a powerful message, whether that's about class or race inequalities in the UK. Does that put a an extra kind of pressure on what you do because you think wow we okay we really have we've got to make this work we've got to make this travel beyond just the audience here tonight i think rather than the word pressure i think i'd probably change that word to passion for me and bronski i think um when you like dave when you listen to his lyrics it, even with his album psychodrama he expresses so much in that that it really drives us passionately to really like support him and help him creatively and getting that message across again not to people um that would necessarily listen to him on a day-to-day -day basis and definitely with the brits last year we were very much about that piano stands for so many different things creatively it's a visual expression of his lyrics um yeah. it also represents a table that anyone can sit at um and i feel that it was a definite creative extension of his words and his his lyrics um to that and also uh, to me the what happened on stage like didn't detract from the lyrics with dave at the brits yeah. the the table kind of was the lyrics with him sort of and his powerful presence around that but nothing detracted from what he was saying which is i'm guessing the most important part of that performance his lyrics absolutely and that's you know part of our job is to you know to to find that um that balance um to never take away from these artists and their in the, and their creativity and their artistry um and that's what we always you know when we're creating always looking at and making sure that that they are the most important thing on that stage and whatever the, however they want to express themselves is at the forefront for sure, because I can imagine it'd be so easy to get carried away and be like, oh, well, we've got a bit of a budget here. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, I yeah. don't know, go crazy with the smoke machines and, yeah. and all these, yeah. Yeah, Most... I, I mean, picking up on that, you know, where, what Amber was saying there about kind of trusting the gut, that is a really kind of big thing as well, because with with that Dave performance, once again, we, we were actually put under a lot of pressure to change the shape of that piano um, from 
from the kind of TV side. They, they kind of really wanted uh, Dave to be on a traditional piano t- uh, shape. And we were, we were so kind of adamant, like, and, and sometimes it's, we do get, you know, there are points when we get frustrated because we have a vision and we, you know, sometimes we're like, why? We know, we know when we have it all there and we have the cameras, we know what it's going to be um, and how incredible, how incredible it will be. But, you know, so, sometimes we go, why can't people see what we're, we're um, th- you know, taking and understand that the idea essentially. And, you know, the whole, that whole thing about Dave's piano being, um, you know, shaped like a table and, and, and you've got essentially a black man and a white man together sat sharing a table was a part of that performance you know once again and this comes back down to sometimes there's very bold meanings in in performance and sometimes there's more subtle ones you know i'm not i don't think that everyone took away that exact message within there but you know having read youtube comments etc there definitely are uh, many people that did see that kind of message within it is is there ever times when you can't fulfill what's requested so i don't know I was reading about, is it AJ Tracy? You did a tour with him. And at one point you released some kind of scent into, it was, I can't remember the venue. Right, maybe yes. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's amazing. But yeah. I guess you always have to start with your blue sky thinking about, I don't know, like we want the texture of this place to feel different. Is it ever the case that you can't, for whatever, if it's budgeting reasons or actually just like the venue won't let you do it and you have to rein in the artist expectations? Um well, the, the story behind the scent actually was inspiration from AJ, as in he was like, I want my audience to have an experience. And so we took that away. And with our knowledge and, you know, people that we uh, in production that can do all these special effects, I was like, how insane would it be when he performs Tiago Silva with Dave, which is about football, that we released this scent of a football pitch of like love this. fresh cut grass. And it kind of like, I don't know if that, that hasn't been done very much with shows, but that was something that we were both really intrigued about to go for a live audience, them to smell this fresh cut grass and have this new sense rather than just eyes and ears to have a new sense to add that into a mix of a live show so that's kind of where that that came from and what about like i said limitations do you ever feel sometimes you just want to like shake the owners of the venue or shake i don't know whoever's playing the brit awards and they're like no you have to have your piano in this shape like how often i guess do you have to scale back these ideas or kind of want to shake the people who are running the Brit Awards and saying, well, you, this is the kind of space you're working with and you have to have a classic shaped piano. Because that must be a really frustrating place to be as a creative for people to be kind of like quashing your ideas. For sure. So, you know, th- there are there are times when, you know, there, there does turn out to be limitations or, or, or even worse is when you find out limitations further on down the road. Um but for the for the foremost, like you know, the live events industry, because essentially that is where we we are working. It is like one of the most forward planning industries. It, it's insanely professional, and the you know the amount of CAD drawings, tech drawings that are done so far in advance of of any stage or any TV show or anything like that. You know, 
they they are available at certain given times and and from then you you are able to work with that and it is you know it is a part of what we have to do is to look at what we have to work with and what we can do within that space realistically now don't get me wrong we we do often phone up and go can we get away with doing that is there actually more height here you know uh how you know can can this be heavier um etc etc but you know one one thing that's important is to not go down the wrong path too early and and especially not to kind of potentially let an artist know that we could go down that path just to then kind of say yeah no we we kind of we were too adventurous or or yeah manage their expectations yeah so but 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 for sure you know and you are right in kind of asking that question a million percent and you know but once again you know that, that that kind of canvas and where it's situated thing comes in again um you know like once again with uh the, pyra- the pyramid stage with Stormzy, you know, the, the set for that, that pushed the Glastonbury set and to, to stage to its absolute limits of the height, the width, the weight it could take in the roof, how quick we had to build that. And Misty Buckley, who's who uh, was was the set, set designer of the, the particular set on, on that stage um, for the performance, she, um, you know, well, we all worked really hard together to, to, to kind of, you know, make that work. And, you know, with other shows, we, we are looking at the same thing. So so it's, I do think that a part of our arsenal is being able to kind of, um, you know, be, be one step ahead of the game for the most part. But for sure, there are times when, you know, um, there can be award shows, like even, even the Brit Awards this year, we had to, think about you know distancing between um band members and dancers etc etc um you know and they're all things that we do have to factor in but you know we try to take care of it before an artist might hear something that they you know yeah before it gets on their radar we've spoken a lot about preparation for the shows i want to get a flavor for how it feels when it is show night so take me back to was it 2019 the pyramid stage on the day of that performance was there a feeling of calm and thinking everything is in hand we've done all the preparation we need the the morning and the entire day of that show day was literally one of the most uh, emotional days ever actually um yeah it was like even storms storms was in proper in early he was there in the morning just taking it all in backstage everyone's kind of there everyone's you know the the way everyone said hello to each other that day was a different one you know like all that works built up to today so you know what was is is there an anticipation and a slight edge part of nerves of course but me and amber always say if we if we're not nervous before something big like that goes on stage then that's not a good place to be because you know we like i myself like to feel nervous because then there's you're thinking about every single thing that yeah you're on the ball yeah because we only get to do it once you know that's 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 how it kind of works so um yeah but but then obviously you've got that one hour changeover and then uh, you're just watching hoping like you know watching it all come on stage and and then you've kind of got 
the moment when obviously the artists get called to the stage and then yeah of course you know that there is that anticipation you can feel it in the audience and then the second the show starts you're back in game mode and do you enjoy the performance are you able to dance around to it or are you still like looking assessing okay right they're in the right place okay right what's happening next this person needs to come forward and is that sort of i don't know musician ready to go or whatever uh it really depends with different with, with different artists and different shows diff, uh, it, it, our kind of involvement once it starts is different so with with stormzy for example like i i actually myself call the show so I, I have a direct line to everyone's in earpieces and literally from the lights fading down before the show starts to the second the person hits um, or the music is, is, it starts, you know, whether that be the DJ or the band, like in terms of the sizzle and, and, the, and the space to breathe within the set, like, I, do you know what I mean? That's something that I'm very much a, a part of. So um, from that side, you know, that it's, it, yeah, there's, there is no rest until the show's over. No dancing for Bronski. Amber, do you get a I little, have a chance to have a little bop? I, I still dance <laughs> while I'm doing it, though, to be fair. I think, I think it depends where I'm situated during a show. It's, it's very different with each artist and each performance. Um, sometimes I would be the last person that the artist sees before they go on. So I'm all about those last amazing words into the artist's ears to really kind of you know help them on their you know their journey if they're always nervous or if their their adrenaline's going just to keep them really positive and uh prepared um and then there's do you remember what you said to Stormzy uh for for Stormzy Glaster I walked in and he he had his uh vest on which was designed by Banksy and I just looked yeah. at him and that was Actually, I have to say that was the only time I actually, I had no words. I just looked at him and we just both nodded at each other and that was it. It gives me goosebumps. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was just like, in, it was incredible. Um, yeah, that was amazing. But normally during a show, depending on where I am, like at the Brits, I was in the tunnel um, side of stage where there was a monitor literally just screaming with excitement and hyping and, you know, being like dancing around, jumping around and being really excited and proud and really proud at, you know, where each artist has did an amazing job. So, yeah. Yeah, and everything that's led up to that yeah. one night, you're so right to be excited and want to celebrate yeah. it. So with those kind of things you've listed, the Brits, Stormsies, they sound like really, really wonderful, incredible days at work. What would a bad day at work look like for you? Ooh. 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 <laughs> what is a hard day at work? I mean... Uh, First off, I, w I would say like every day's like a hard day of work um, uh, in terms of, the, you know, if, if anyone wants to kind of come into this industry, for example, like me and Amber will do, especially when it comes to something like production rehearsals, we are, we are by the stage at nine in the morning and we are leaving at two, three in the morning and then doing that on repeat for days and days and days on end. You, do you know what I mean? It's intense. It is, yeah, they are long days. And it is for a lot of people um, that kind of work on the show side of things. But we're, we're in for that. We don't mind that at all. Um, 
the hard, the, the bad, hard, bad thing. Is it, could it be like, I guess moods so often trickle top down. So maybe if your artist comes in and they're overtired because they've got a crazy schedule and they're not feeling, I don't know, I imagine days on, on set can be really long sometimes and unfulfilling and you know you're kind of onto something, but your inspiration just isn't coming that day. Maybe could that be a bad day? Uh, uh, do you know what? There are there are times when something technically can go wrong. Um, I'm, I'm oh, actually yeah. struggling to think of the perfect example of that at the moment. But there are times when something can go really wrong, uh, which is out of anyone's hands at all. And obviously that will just lead you to walk away that day going, oh, that wasn't what it was supposed to be. Um, but how do we fix it? How yeah. do we make sure that that in the future that it's you know bulletproof for even the ne- or for the next day of rehearsals? Absolutely. What's the fix? Absolutely. Um, you have been a pleasure to speak to. I could honestly speak to you guys for hours. I always end the podcast by asking for a piece of wisdom or words of advice you've been given by someone who you've worked with that inspire you and that maybe subconsciously you put into practice every day at work? Hmm. I would say mine are, um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not sure who I've learned this from along the way. I think it's like a subconscious thing. Um, but mm, be positive, be kind, um, and trust your gut. Absolutely. And I'm actually really struggling to think at the moment. Well, maybe that's a joint mention. Yeah, that, that could, be, that could be a joint one. That could be a joint one. Or, or oh, I'm just trying to remember who said it to me, but just, just don't skimp on the research. I just remember that being said once. Mm. Uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, it was probably years before that came into play. But since uh, taking that on board, um, you know, I do feel like our work's got stronger 100%. Well, everything I've watched of yours, whether I knew it was yours or didn't, I'm honestly blown away by. So keep it up. With, can you say anything, that any projects that you're working on next? Um, we are, for the most part, the ones we can talk about are the ones that we are just hoping will happen, which is obviously um, uh, the, the festivals and then yeah. tours at the end of the year. So, um, you know, we are very much hoping that uh, everything works out with COVID uh you know, in the country, in the guidelines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll end up doing something quite nice with Stormzy on uh, at Reading Festival if all goes. Something quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will keep my fingers crossed that all those tours can go ahead, and also all those festivals because we need them. We Lord need please. the shows. We need the entertainment. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you so much, Bronski, for your time. I so appreciate Thank it. Thank you. No worries at all. Thank you for having us. A massive thank you to Amber and Bronski for chatting. If you want to keep up with their work, you can find them on Insta at Tourbox. If you're still listening, then I want to say a big thank you to you too. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please leave us a little review, maybe send it to a mate, and subscribe to Who You Don't See on your usual podcast app. You can also pay us a visit next week when I'll be chatting to David Higgins, the man who gets superheroes ready. He's worked with the biggest names in Hollywood from Margot Robbie to Gal Gadot and Zoe Kravitz. I look forward to seeing you then.